Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Steve Rulani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Marcus Osborne. Marcus serves as Senior Vice President of Walmart Health, where he is focused on furthering Walmart's goal of providing quality healthcare that is both affordable and accessible. He has been with Walmart since 2007, working as part of several different teams within the health organization, and he's also a fellow HBS grad. I'd also like to thank Dina Shakir at Lux Capital, who made the introduction uh, between me and Marcus, and I've really gotten to enjoy working with and talking to other Walmart Health uh, members, including Shini Pulru and Carrie D'Amico, among others. So, uh, Marcus, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. It's a pleasure to be here. So you have a pretty interesting background that I've come to know uh, having spoken to you before, but for our audience, which is primarily current and future healthcare professionals, do you mind giving them a bit of uh, your, your own CV in your own words? Uh, yeah, I'll give you the short one. So I'm, I grew up in Kentucky, uh, the son of teachers, um, and um, went to undergrad in Kentucky at a little school in Kentucky called Transylvania that people mistake for a school in Romania. Then actually, I had a kind of interesting career. I actually uh, thought I was going to go to law school. Instead, I went to D.C. I became a in, I was a White House intern. I was there when the most famous White House intern uh, of all times was there, so that you can figure out who I was an intern for. Uh, through the course of the work I did in the White House, I actually um, left the White House and became went into management consulting, um, strategy consulting. Did two different kind of stints with two different firms in Boston. Um, and for me, that was uh, sort of, I did everything. I, I was not healthcare specific. I was all industries, all kinds of issues, all kinds of uh, areas of focus, uh, both in the U.S. and globally. Um, I, I did a bit, a uh, little bit of a stint as well at the Clinton Foundation, working on the HIV and AIDS work globally, uh, which was also kind of an interesting stint. And then I uh, went to HBS and at HBS, I uh, watched all my peers going into these things called hedge funds and private equity and and going back into management consulting with big firms. And um, I couldn't quite figure it out because no disrespect to all those groups, but none of them produce or do anything, right? They all thrive off the back end of groups who do actually produce, you know? And so for me, I'm like, well, I think I'm going to go with the exact opposite. So instead of going to San Francisco and or instead of going to New York or, you know, Hong Kong or London or wherever it was, I said, I'm going to go to Bentonville, Arkansas. And uh, as luck would have it, when I had the opportunity to come to, to Walmart, um, when approached, there were actually two opportunities put in front of me. And the irony of irony is I was not invited to go work in retail. I said, hey, I want to come to Bentonville and work for Walmart, largest retailer in the world. And they said, well, we have our biggest need in healthcare or financial services. And I said, well, I definitely can't do financial services because I just badmouthed a bunch of people in my section about going to the financial services industry. So I guess healthcare it is. And so lo and behold, I've had, you know, more than 13 years now at Walmart, all in the, on the healthcare side of things. So it's been sort of, and, and I will say probably up to that point, and I've said it a lot and people tend not to believe me, but I really don't actually like the healthcare industry. This is not my sort of area of, of preference. I'm definitely not a fan of doctors and needles and blood and hospitals and health insurers. And, you know, like none of this is, is fun. Toys are fun. Video games are fun. You know, bikes are fun. Um, even though it's not, not the thing that I love, that in some ways that actually is what has allowed me to, you know, kind of play a role because I think none of this is sacred to me. The only thing that I have seen is that it's it's very clear that 
there's probably no industry that can have a greater impact on on people than than the healthcare industry if we do it right. But it's clear to me that there is sort of need for us to find new ways to do things. So anyway, so I think doing that from Walmart um, has has provided me a really interesting vantage point to assess opportunities in this industry. No, definitely. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed you know, hearing that story and your background uh, and other interviews you've done where you've talked about how at Walmart, um, healthcare is a very small part of the entire organization, what you do. And so it can even be viewed as like a loss leader in some ways going in because the retail part of what Walmart does is so strong. But I'd love to hear, you know, we'll obviously get into COVID and the effect that's had on, on Walmart Health. But can you give us a bit of a sense of over those 13 years at Walmart Health, what are some of the things you're most proud of? And like, have all those things been leading up to what you're doing right now, which is rapidly growing these health clinics and health centers? Um, I know in Georgia, in Florida, in Illinois, I think you guys just opened a location in Chicago last week. So congratulations on that. But could you give us a sense of those 13 years and then like what makes you most excited this year about uh, the work you're doing? When I joined Walmart, it was eight months after the uh, $4 generic program had first launched in 2006. And so I got to see the development of that program and it certainly expanded into more things like the $10 for 90 day program. Um, that begat other programs that we started to do with health plans and um, health systems, uh, working with employers directly. So we launched programs with Caterpillar, the first kind of direct to employer program on the pharmacy side um, that drove very significant savings for them. That led to uh, a program with Humana where we helped launch the first preferred pharmacy arrangement in, in Medicare Part D that drove significant drug savings for seniors. I think that led to Walmart Health, which just, you know, very simply is a model about bringing together uh, a full array of health and wellness services together into one setting. So bringing primary care and, and mental health services and dental and vision and hearing and other services all into kind of one integrated setting. Um, what I would say is uh, the thing that ties all those together is all of them have a component that is focused on affordability. And at some point, people will say, well, everything about Walmart is about prices, everyday low prices, those kind of things. So, so it's not surprising the Walmart guy will talk about price and affordability. Except I'll tell you, if you look at the reason why healthcare is the top point of concern, angst, and stress amongst Americans, amongst all issues, the prime reason that is, is because of the sense that healthcare is too costly and is unaffordable, is unattainable. There, there are certainly other reasons like the inconvenience and the complexity and other things, but, but cost and affordability is the top issue. So one thing that, you know, tied all of what we've done together is an attempt to make healthcare more affordable for consumers. The other thing though that ties them all together is this is this understanding that there is a very insidious reality to what occurs in the system today from the fact that healthcare is viewed as being unaffordable that's viewed as being inaccessible that's viewed as being complex and unserving the result is that people defer delay or don't get the care they need in the moment and that in doing that we push things downstream but they they ultimately explode on us and so what I, what I think every one of those initiatives have been about, and we've seen it happen over and over and over, is every time we would do one of these programs or initiatives, it wasn't about taking, you know, stealing share from somebody else. It was about these, these customers who just were not getting care, who weren't getting their prescriptions filled, who needed vision correction but couldn't afford their eyewear, and so just, just weren't doing it. Um, 
people who now weren't getting their dental care or weren't having their annual medical physicals or whatever it might be because they couldn't afford it. And so I think one of the things we've seen is in this, this fundamental belief is that what we're dealing with today is vast underconsumption, not overconsumption of healthcare, that, that, that people aren't getting the care they need in the moment. And therefore that's actually driving significant costs and poor health. And so I think that really is what underlies everything that we do is this sense that we think there's an opportunity to actually drive more consumption of healthcare, to make it care more affordable, to, to make it more accessible, to do all those things. But in so doing it, it'll actually drive not only a healthier population, it'll lower the cost of healthcare in aggregate in the United States. Yeah, and I've heard a very impressive data, including, well, for example, like I think the the target primary care appointment for an adult is $40 at a Walmart health center. Where, yeah, in Georgia, yep. And in the U.S., uh, national average is $106, so it's you know less than 40% the entire cost. Um, and then also, given how many Walmarts there are and how many health centers you're planning to open, you know, there's some ridiculous percentage of the U.S. population that like lives within three miles of a Walmart or something. Do you mind sharing any statistics with our learners about kind of the size and scope of Walmart Health today and where you see it going? By the end of, of this uh, kind of fiscal year, we'll have 15 sites open, the bulk of those in Georgia, uh, one site here in North East Arkansas. And we, as you mentioned, two sites we just opened in Chicago, um, our, our first really, truly dense urban locations. The ones in Georgia uh, tended to skew to exurbs or to uh, fairly rural locations. We've got plans uh, right now, and we're, we're actually in the midst of initiating construction in, in Florida, which will be the fourth market we move into. And so we'll, we'll be going into places like Jacksonville. Um, and so excited about that opportunity. Um, yeah, so, you know, for us, really what we're in the midst of is uh, a pretty aggressive learning exercise. I, I sort of use this a lot, but our, our past uh, CEO of our U.S. business was an individual named Greg Ferran. And Greg had this quote that you get one point for talking about it and nine points for doing it. And in some ways, that really defines the ethos of, of Walmart that we, we learn by doing. And so there's a lot more we want to do to make the experience better for consumers and, and create more value um, in the communities where we operate. So what's exciting to me is that these sites and moving in these markets enable us the opportunity to very rapidly learn and try things out. And, and we're already seeing that. I mean, we started two tests um, in the summer tied to, you know, physical therapy services in, in Georgia. And we've, uh, you know, are initiating a more kind of robust, um, diabetes management program in, in Chicago. And so it's, it's really exciting because these, these centers, um, they are for us fundamentally test beds. They become ways for us to, you know, try things, iterate the model and, and find ways to better serve our customers. And what, one thing that I think is most exciting about companies like Walmart getting into healthcare in a bigger way is the fact that you know, we've had a lot of guests on Raise Line who talk about social determinants of health. Right. That, you know, if you go to a, a, a hospital or health system, you know, you're only seeing the doctor or the, the provider, you know, one day out of a year or something. And what happens in the rest of the time? What are you eating? And, you know, how is your are you lonely at home? Do you have the resources you need? And Walmart is in a position, it seems to provide some of those social determinants. So I think you yourself in an interview had once said, like, hey, maybe in the diabetes program, you, you're borderline diabetic or pre-diabetic. Maybe we can get you connected to a nutrition counselor who can then help you shop at the Walmart that you're at the health clinic at. And so could you talk a bit more about some of these cross opportunities and how you all see the healthcare side of Walmart 
uh, interacting with the other parts of Walmart as well. Sure. I mean, I think you, you sort of nailed it, honestly, which is when I think about my own health, I, I rarely think about my doctor and I definitely don't think about the one med that I take. Those are not the things that define my health. When I think about my health, I think about how much am I able to get outside and take the dogs for a walk or go for a run or, you know, get to the gym, you know, how many fruits or vegetables did I actually sneak in? Um, what, what have I done for, you know, how stressed am I today? You know, have I meditated or, you know, have I, uh, how well did I sleep? Th those are the things that, and I think when you think about the average individual, particularly average American, they, they, we think about our health in a much broader way. And the reality is the solutions that are necessary to help people be and live healthier and have more control over their health are much broader than the kind of tr traditional things that are delivered through the healthcare system. It's not about doctors and drugs. Um, and so I think you, you sort of described it. I mean, you think about this idea though, to, to think about programs that we want to impact and improve people's ability to sleep. Well, some of that, there is a medical benefit of, of helping somebody assess their current situation, help, help give them education, you know, and maybe that'd be clinical in nature, but some of it may be, you know, let's get you, uh, let's get you a better pillow, or let's, let's think about what, you know, small changes to your diet that you can use, or let's think about how exercise can, you know, go and buy a bike. You know, our sense is increasingly the solutions that we will have to address our health will actually be much more holistic in nature. And, and in fact, we're already seeing it. I mean, for years, there's been talk about health plans paying for food. And I think there was some hesitancy because there was a concern that there's a slippery slope and, you know, well, what I can tell you now, um, and, and a lot of it was driven by COVID, but um, now you've got major health insurers in the United States who have dropped billions of dollars to pay for food. And part of it is they understand now increasingly that their ability to impact your nutrition impacts your health. Secondarily, um, if you want people to stay safe in their home and you're worried about the most vulnerable, you better get them food during this time because it's going to cost you, right? And so... I think it's been interesting that, you know, though there are sometimes lags um, in terms of what we actually know works and what the players in the market and the healthcare market are willing to really engage with, I think increasingly we're seeing that movement to saying, hey, we as a health plan or we as a health insurer or we as a health system have to, you know, begin to invest in those more holistic solutions. And the great thing that we bring is, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we're sort of, we're in all those businesses. We, we sell the most food in the United States. We sell more bikes than anybody in the U.S. We sell more pillows than anybody else. We sell more HEPA filters than anybody else. So, um, and we're committed to making all those things affordable and accessible and, and convenient to get. And so, you know, what we feel is we actually have this really spectacular health platform. And now the, our opportunity is how do we more fully leverage it? Yeah, it's incredibly exciting. And so, you know, the reason we call the podcast Raise the Line is how do we improve healthcare capacity, right? Because one part is flattening the curve. How do we get less people being hospitalized, wearing masks, social distancing? The other part is the staffing shortages, right? And so as you scale out your health centers, you're going to need a lot more farm techs and dentists. I've really enjoyed our conversations with Dr. Rowe, who runs, as you know, Walmart Dental. And so how do you think about like, what is your sales pitch to a doctor or a nurse practitioner to join Walmart Health? And or how do you see retraining existing Walmart associates to become people who staff your health clinics? Yeah, maybe I'll start in the latter. I mean, I think 
you know, one of the things we have, and it's been interesting, I mean, sometimes this is serendipity, but we had developed a number of years ago a program. Uh, it goes by some, a number of names. I call it our dollar a day program, which we were enabling Walmart associates to actually go to college and, and functionally it cost them about a dollar a day. We recently, about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, introduced uh, a set of healthcare degrees, health-related degrees. Um, those have become the most popular degrees for our associates to engage in. And so one of the one of the things that's become obvious is actually here's a unique opportunity for us to, you know, now with 1.5 million associates in the United States, you know, give or take the, you know, that ability to say, hey, you can join us and maybe maybe you'll start as a cashier or a stalker or maybe you're shagging carts in the parking lot, which is a great gig. But we also can create this opportunity for you to do other things and we'll actually support your training and education to get there. So. I think certainly we think there's an enormous opportunity to, to think about how we leverage our existing associate base, um, which, by the way, we tend, we've already tended to find that many of them already had healthcare degrees. They had healthcare certifications. In fact, in the first site we opened in Dallas, uh, Georgia, uh, we hired a couple of community health workers, and, and one of them actually came from the store. There was already an individual who was a certified community health worker in that store who was great. Point two would be to that point, I think. You know, the way we convince, you know, you talk about physicians or nurse practitioners or dentists. Who, I think a lot of it is the model is to say, hey, you know, if you want to impact community health, who's in a better position to do it than what we're doing here? I'm not measuring you on the amount of referrals you generate to specialists or to the hospital. I'm measuring you on how well do you take care of the customer? How good is the experience you can create and how high quality is the care you provide? And what we tend to hear from a lot of providers, and it's been really interesting, is that's what I actually went to school for, right? Like, I didn't go to school to, to be judged on how well I generate referral. I went to school to actually help people, and I want to help them where they are. And so I think it's, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I think we have been, I've been very, very surprised. I tell people probably that's the thing I've been the most surprised about, about how we thought even out of the gate, it would be hard to attract providers and medical professionals and other health professions. And, and thus far, it's not. Now, that said, I will also acknowledge that as you think about this thing, you know, what we're doing scaling, we just don't have enough supply. But I think we also look at it at the reality that innovation is actually creating opportunities. Um, that when you think about the AI and its impact on healthcare, and you think about the way deep um, big data analytics and machine learning is being deployed to, to create better approaches to care. You think about the ability then to, to couple that technology with new types of professionals like community health workers who can play a bigger role. I think increasingly we see a, a world in which the way we get cared for today and the way the market expects us to get cared for today is going to fundamentally change and not change in a slow way. This is not, I, I think there are some things in healthcare that take decades. I think we, we sort of see these changes happening pretty rapidly over three, five, seven year period. I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of problems we see is well, payers pay for it. And where we say is, well, okay, if you can create a model that actually is compelling for consumers and consumers are willing to pay for it, then I don't really care what the payers do. But I do think there's opportunities for these new uh, professionals to play a bigger role and help us deal with the fact that we are going to have challenges you know, there just aren't tons and tons of new primary care physicians being produced. Dentists are in short supply, those kind of things. So we're going to have to find new ways to leverage new types of people and technology to address the, the demands and needs of consumers. 
And on the on the further end, what I what resonates with me a lot too is ultimately giving the power to the consumers. The more they brush their teeth, the less they have to see the dentist, for example. And so I think you guys are super aligned with that. And or another RTL guest was Eric Topol, mm-hmm. who wrote the book, uh, The Patient Will See You Now. And he talks obviously a lot about big data and machine learning and AI and medicine. Um, so I, that resonates a lot. I know we're over time. So I wanted to give you one last question, which is, you know, if you were to give advice to our audience, which is mostly current and future healthcare professionals, a couple million of them all around the world, you know, what advice would you give them about meeting the challenges of the COVID pandemic and beyond? Uh, and then is there anything else you want to share with that audience? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say I don't I don't know if my maybe my advice is sort of tied to COVID, but I, I think it is at the end of the day, healthcare is about the individual. It's about the consumer. Um, we have somehow convinced ourselves that there are multiple interests that matter, that the that the interests of the providers and the health systems, the interest of the payers and the health insurers, the interest of the manufacturers, that somehow their interests are equal to and, and peer to those of the individuals and consumers and families. And I think that's just fundamentally wrong. And not only is it wrong, I think when you use that as a basis to design solutions, you create bad solutions that ultimately don't work. So my challenge, I think, to everybody is to actually have a consumer-only mindset in health, which is forget the rest of those groups. If you're trying to solve for a challenge, you ask the question, how does the solution that I've created, how well does it address the consumer, the individual's needs? And the solutions that come out that do that do appear to be much more successful and they sustain. And so I think there is that, that's, that's my sort of probably one call out. I think the other one is, and this is probably to, to people who are going to be, you know, providers and medical professionals. What we know is, not all, and I'll, and I'll pick on physicians, unfortunately, not all physicians deliver high value. There's unfortunately a lot of physicians that we see that are delivering inappropriate or unnecessary care. There are then a lot of physicians who then aren't delivering the highest quality care they should. Um, I don't think that they sort of are doing that intentionally. I think a lot of it is because you often don't know. You don't know what good always looks like. The assumption is I, I must be doing okay or otherwise somebody would tell me, but that's not always the case in this, in, particularly this industry. I think physicians and nurse practitioners and the medical side, probably dentists, um, get very little information about their performance. But what I, what I see coming is an emerging reality where the data and the analytics and the insights is, are coming that are going to be there to help providers and professionals understand how effective they're being at delivering appropriate care, how effective they're being at delivering um, high quality, how effective they are at delivering the lowest total cost. And so my other challenge is don't be afraid of that insight. Actually act on it. If, if you find that you're not, you know, that good is here and you're not sort of at that standard, find a way to get there. Because I, I finally will tell you, if you can do that, I think ultimately you win in this kind of emerging, you know, uh, healthcare sector, because I think instead of fearing them, we should embrace them and um, use them to drive the change that's necessary to improve the health of people and a lower cost in the system. I think that's tremendously valuable advice. And actually, I think you're the first guest who's shared those specific examples of advice. And Marcus, this is a fascinating interview, and I'm just really excited about the work that 
you and your your entire team at Walmart is doing to raise the line and improve healthcare capacity. So thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It was great to be here. And with that, I'm Shiv Gurlani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.